you guys to sing this one. Come bless the Lord. Can you do that one again? Let's go ahead and stand and do our course tonight. <clears throat> he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sin away. That sounds just like that last song. <laughs> he paid a debt he did not owe. He paid a debt he did not owe. by ear. I like it though. Let's go ahead and sing it out. Here we go. Ready? He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sin away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. The whole day long, Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never we do. We serve a wonderful God, don't we? And he paid a debt we couldn't pay. The fact is today is that there's only two religions in the world. There's a, <clears throat> I'll try to pay it myself religion, or I'll let Jesus Christ pay it. And really, when it's all said and done, those are the only two religions there are. Now, they might go by a number of different names, but the reality, the philosophy of it all is simply either Christ all or trying to add something to it. Well, I'm glad that I don't have to add anything to Christ's finished work on Calvary. And I'm glad that my salvation is has independent, has nothing at all to do uh, with myself. Because if it did, I'd be in real trouble. But anyway, I'm so glad he paid the price. And I know you are tonight. Let's sing it out one more time. Lift it up as loud as you can. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sin away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. The whole day long, Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. Thank you, you may be seated. Kids, you did a great job tonight. Now Stephanie's going to come sing for us.
Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, verse 22. Proverbs, chapter 5, verse 22. We're just going to use this to kick things off. We're back <coughs> this uh, week in our uh, doctrinal delicacies. And uh, again, a delicacy is something that's pretty tasty. It's good. It's something we look forward to. And <coughs> we, um, we have some doctrines in the Word of God that are very tasty, if you will. They're wonderful. They're good. And uh, uh, they help us tremendously, and uh, they're a blessing to us. And so we're going through some basic fundamental doctrines along the way. And tonight, we're going to be dealing with sin. It's going to, we're going to deal with sin tonight a little bit. And we're going to take some consideration there and um, see what we can learn. And so we want to kick things off in the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, verse 22. <clears throat> the Bible simply says, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself. And he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. If we had a piece of rope up here, we could tie my hands together right now, and uh, those cords would bind me. They would hold me. And that's exactly what sin does. We sin and we bind ourselves. And the Bible's being very clear, it's very simple that, as it says here, his own iniquity shall take the wicked, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. The very things that I permit in my life, the very things I allow that go contrary to God's word, are the very things that will bind me, the very things that will enslave me. We think that sin is freedom, but sin is slavery. 
And it's important to keep that in mind. There is no, uh, no in-between. When we reject Christ, we reject His Word, we reject His laws, we reject His commandments, we choose to uh, involve ourselves in lifestyles that are contrary to His Word, we are literally being bound by our own sin. No one is binding us but ourselves. It's not Satan that has to get the blame for it. We take the blame for it. We're, as it says here in the passage, <clears throat> our own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. And boy, I'll tell you what, that's a sad state of affairs to see ourselves or others or those that we love bound by their sin. So <clears throat> we want to learn to deal with sin a little bit. We don't want to see ourselves, you and I tonight, bound by sin. So what are some steps or what are some things that we need to do? Well, we're going to ask some questions tonight and we'll see if we can't answer them and we'll move quickly because we have a lot to cover in a very, very short time. We want to move along tonight. Uh, boy, it seems so much later tonight, doesn't it? <clears throat> I, was, uh, I got to go home for a little bit today and uh, I was working out in the yard doing a few things and you say you're not supposed to work on Sunday. Well, I, I had to do something real quickly and it wasn't really a lot of work, okay? But anyway, <clears throat> I, I was taking care of something and I realized I looked, I looked at it and I'm like, man, I got, I got, you know, I got time. It's no big deal. But it's, it's like getting dark already. And I'm like, man, it's only five o'clock and I got to get out of here soon. But boy, I better wrap this thing up real quick because I'm going to be working in the dark soon. I don't like that. I don't know about you, but I like it staying light later. <clears throat> I wish we'd move the clocks forward two hours. <clears throat> but anyway, nonetheless, um, Let's go ahead and ask some questions tonight about sin, and then we'll see what we can learn. Let's have a word of prayer first. Father in heaven, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. Lord, thank you for these that have gathered. We're just going to try to learn from your word tonight. <clears throat> Lord, there's not one of us that has all the answers. Lord, you do, though, and we're glad that you give us your word. Now, may we take that word and apply it to our lives, and Father, may you just allow us, Father, to gain victory over sin and self and over Satan. Father, we'll thank you for that. Now fill me with your spirit, and Lord, may you just uh, again anoint every listening ear. And Lord, may we hear with spiritual ears tonight. And Lord, may you stand in my shoes. And Father, may I be your mouthpiece tonight. Holy Spirit of God, nothing permanent or eternal can be accomplished if it's a mere man that speaks tonight. It has to be you and your Holy Spirit that drive home truth. Father, we just ask you to do just that tonight. <clears throat> in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, <clears throat> often we talk about what is sin, and, and you know, in our, our um, soul-winning classes, we just make it very simple. It's missing the mark. It's not measuring up to God's perfect standard. And the fact is that there's not a human being on earth that measures up to God's standard. And therefore, we're all sinners because we don't measure up. And it's not a matter of, you know, you do this and I do that, or... Well, this one's bigger, or this one's smaller, or, <clears throat> well, that one's a little bit of sin, and this one's a lot of bit of sin, you know. It's simply, we don't measure up to His standard. He's holy. He's uh, perfect. He's righteous. And because we don't measure up, we fall short. And that's exactly what sin is. It's falling short. It's not measuring up. It's missing the mark. <clears throat> so where did this sin originate? Where did it originate? Well, in the universe... It originated with Satan. Take your Bible, if you would, look over the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. Isaiah, chapter 14, tonight. <clears throat> In the universe, sin 
was introduced by Satan or with Satan. Isaiah chapter 14, beginning verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nation? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. We know that ultimately Satan rebelled against God. Many believe that Satan was probably fourth in line, if you will. There was the Trinity and then Lucifer. And he was the anointed cherub that covereth. And so he had a very high place, at least, in God's economy. But he, in his pride, his arrogance, himself, chose to try to elevate himself to the position of God. And is that not what he tempted Eve with? Isn't that what he tempted Adam with? You'll be like gods, he said. And they took the fruit and they ate of the fruit. Because within man, like Satan their father, there is a desire to be God. And the reality is, is if we're not careful, even as believers, that old nature, that atomic nature, that part of us that is lost and sinful, will seek to elevate ourselves in the sight of others and even to the place of God. Sin was introduced into the universe with Satan himself. <clears throat> but on earth, sin was introduced with Adam. It originated with Adam and Eve. Of course, we could take the time to turn to Genesis chapter 2 and we could see again how Satan tempted Eve and ultimately Eve received or took of the apple, or I say apple, it was fruit really, we don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if it was grapes, personally. But nonetheless, it doesn't really matter. I, 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 I do. I, I have some reasons for that. But nonetheless, uh, it doesn't matter what it was. I, either way, she ate of the forbidden fruit in the garden. <clears throat> and then she offers to her husband, and he takes and receives of it as well. Sin enters into the earth, into the world in which we live. Interesting truth, the Bible says that wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. When sin entered the world, death entered the world. This whole thing about, you know, there were dinosaurs and a whole generation of creatures prior to man and prior to Adam and Eve or prior to the, uh, uh, you know, the creation of mankind is ludicrous. It's unscriptural, it's unbiblical, it's ungodly. Because death came with sin. Therefore, nothing died till Adam sinned. Therefore, there were human beings on the earth before death entered the world. That means that dinosaurs obviously then roamed with man. If indeed there were dinosaurs, and there sure seems to be a lot of proof of them, then they literally walked with mankind at one point prior to the flood. There's evidence of them after the flood even. If you could go to the Congo, down deep in Africa, you might be surprised the kind of beast or the kind of animals, creatures that you might run into. Offspring 
of ancient, so-called prehistoric dinosaurs. I personally think the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> you never know, right? You're just really deep in that lake. I don't know. But listen, I, I'm confident. I believe with all my heart that dinosaurs and men walk together. I think there's scientific evidence even that points to that. We try to make things so complicated. If God can stuff the whole world in an ark, He certainly could provide safety for mankind amongst dinosaurs. <clears throat> now, you can believe whatever you want, but if you believe dinosaurs lived 250 million years ago, you're teetering on evolution. And I don't believe in evolution because God's word does not support it. <clears throat> now, sin was passed down then from that point to man, to the next man and the next man, generation to generation through the sin of Adam. And of course, that's where sin originated. That's where sin continued. Now, as a Christian saved from sin... Why is it that we find ourselves sinning then? We're saved from sin. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Why is it that we war so much with this thing called sin? Well, take your Bible, look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I guess uh, this past week, and I don't see my mother-in-law, but my mother-in-law told me that apparently the Pope recently come out and basically supported uh, theistic evolution. Basically what that is is that he, he stated basically that God got things moving and then time took over. So... A big bang may not have taken over or happened unless God started the big bang. See, God started it all, created it all, boom, and then over time, evolutionary processes brought about what we have today. Why would he do that? Because, see, we're, we as believers, if we're not careful, instead of functioning and operating by faith in the Word of God, we want to somehow appeal to the world and appear to be intellectually they're equals see they look at us as being neanderthals are you you simply believe a bible you believe in a creator you believe in god and i want to say you believe in a big bang i mean what takes more faith and all i'm saying is even the pope now has allowed himself to fall prey to that philosopher mentality or that ideology that if you want to maintain credibility among the world, then you're going to have to embrace some of their belief system or somehow make the Bible fit science, so-called. So-called. I haven't met one scientist who can prove scientifically that there was a Big Bang. Because in order to do that, you have to have a number of experiments that continue to 
create the same results. Right. Well, nobody was even there, so they don't even know. So it's not science. It is a theory. But I don't know why I'm getting stuck on that tonight, but it bothers me. I, I just, you know, we feel so insecure as Christians sometimes. <clears throat> you know, we just feel like we, everybody's going to think we're morons. You know, that we're, we're, we're ignorant, we're stupid. Who cares? Who cares? I mean, you don't go out to try to look that way. But if believing the word of God labels me as a madman like they said Paul was, then I'll just be a glad man. <clears throat> now, you've been saved from the consequences and the power of sin, but you still operate in the presence of sin. This is why we find ourselves still sinning. Notice the passage now in 2 Corinthians 1.10. It goes on to say, Who delivered us from so great a death? And doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Notice what's going on here. We have, he delivered us from so great a death. In sin we were dead. The wages of sin is death. And as a result, he has delivered us as a result of Calvary, as a result of our personal faith and trust in his son, Jesus. We are delivered from death. So great a death even. And doth deliver. He gives us victory and deliverance in this life. But notice, he goes on to say, and will yet deliver us from the very presence of sin. <clears throat> We're delivered from the penalty of sin, death. We're delivered from the power of sin in our daily life if we'll yield and surrender to the Spirit of God. And we will one day be delivered from the very presence of sin. Isn't that an amazing truth? So why is it I continue to find myself sinning? Because you are surrounded with sinners and you are surrounded with sin. It's all around us. It's a constant battle. It's a struggle. The flesh is the element in the Christian life that yields to sin. Take your Bible, look at Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome. Notice what he says. Uh, and if you ask uh, any theologian, you ask any Bible scholar, you ask any Christian that's read their Bible through at least once, they're going to say, well, Paul seemed to be a pretty solid Christian. But notice what even the Apostle Paul has to say here. In Romans chapter 7, I've got to get there myself. I'm running behind schedule tonight. Chapter 7, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. And I just thought that you need to hear that. <laughs> Did you get that? Now let's go to the verse that I told you to turn to and let's read that together. 
That wasn't a bad save, was it? But anyway, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, he says. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, Paul's not saying that, that he just goes around and he's forever, you know, <laughs> he's not running up to Cleveland and going to the, you know, the track. He's not running up there and, you know, gambling. And he's not, uh, you know, guzzling a fifth of Jack Daniels. He's not, you know, partying with Justin Bieber and Johnny Manziel. You, you know, that's not what he's saying he's doing here. you got to understand, that's not the issue. See, someone says, well, I can excuse my sin because, look, even the Apostle Paul did what he didn't want to do. Well, you don't want to go do that? Why did you do it? You know what keeps you and I from really, what, what, what really causes us uh, or keeps us from not sinning is that we want to sin. And that's really the problem, isn't it? I mean, there's no big secret to this thing. Someone says, man, how do I get over sin? How do I deal with sin? Well, one of the biggest things is you've got to want to not to do it. You know, there ought to be something in you that says, ah, that doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. I just don't feel comfortable anymore doing it. I, I, oh. If that ain't there and you say, man, I like doing that. Guess what? You're going to have a hard time quitting it if you like it. I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going to quit kissing my wife. I like it. You know what I mean? Good luck getting me to stop. And it's the same with sin. And there's a war that goes on in our lives as believers now between that, that new man and the flesh that we still bear about, that we still carry around with us. Take your Bible, look over at Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Okay, we're Christians. We've been saved. We have Christ living in us. Why is it we still struggle with sin? Well, we're in a world where sin abounds. We're in a place where people and things and where everywhere we turn, there's, there's temptation and just that struggle, that difficulty that comes there. But then also there's this battle, this warfare that takes place in our heart, just like the Apostle Paul. Man, he's saying, man, my heart is not to do wrong, but I still struggle with sin in my life. That ought to be a proof positive to all of us that none of us have arrived then. If he's struggling with a heart, if he's dealing with his mind, if he's worried about his actions and deeds, oh boy, do we ever need to be concerned. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. <clears throat> this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Boy, they are direct, they are they're opposites, diametrically opposed one from the other. The spirit, the flesh, diametrically opposed, like night and darkness. Diametrically opposed. And there's a warfare that takes place. We choose between the two. Romans 6, 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. 
Again, there is a, there's a choice that's being made. There's a decision that we must choose. Yielding our members as instruments of unrighteousness or yielding ourselves to God. Those that are alive from the dead and our members, our hands, our feet, our eyes, our ears, minds, as instruments of righteousness unto God. Those are choices we make. Does everybody make the right choices all the time? No. Do preachers always make the right choices? Well, most of the time. But anyway, uh, no, we don't. We're human beings. We struggle with the same battles that everybody else does. Because we're flesh on one hand and we're spirit in the other. Yes, the old man is dead. It's buried and gone. But boy, let me tell you, that old flesh raises its ugly head. We battle with it. We have to choose between yielding to the flesh and yielding to the Spirit of God. At the root of every sin is something called selfishness and pride. That is the root of all sin in the universe. That is where Satan's sin came from, his pride, his arrogance, his selfishness. And that's where every single child of of God, every single, should I say, creation of God struggles is with pride and selfishness. And unfortunately, even every child of God deals with it every day of their life, every moment of their life. I mean, the fact that you walked in the door today and chose to sit in the particular seat you sat in is proof positive that you had yourself at the top of the list. Would you please move over so that folks coming in late could sit on the ends? I like this seat. That's selfishness. That's self. Wanting what's best for self, not putting others ahead of you. You say it has nothing to do with that. Yes, it does. It absolutely does. I mean, let's face it, we do what we want normally because it's what we want, not because it's in the best interest of someone else. It's in our best interest. And someone says, well, you're getting a little nitpicky. No, remember, when we're talking about God, we're talking about a perfect being. And therefore, we're to measure up to His holiness and righteousness. We have lowered the standard so low. So low. We've adjusted it for our humanity. And sadly enough, for us to even discuss certain issues, it becomes very uncomfortable. Because it's become so common for us, we think someone's a fanatical a nutcase to think that something small, minute, so insignificant to us would be so important. But it is to God. We choose between sin and the flesh. At the root of every sin is selfishness and pride. And, you know, we know what the Bible teaches in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16, 25, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So, how does sin affect us as Christians then? Let's at least get through this. Well, when sin takes a hold of our life, when, you know, it's a, it, it takes root in our life, which it's a constant battle, as we noted. There's going to be some consequences. There are going to be some effects. Number one... It's going to keep your prayers from being answered. Sin will keep the prayers, our prayers, from being answered. Now, look, if you will, at Psalm chapter 66, verse 18. 
David, the, the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart he's called in the book of Acts. Notice what he says here in this book of Psalms. Again, remember that he's under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, although David is writing, he is simply the pen being guided by an author named God. Notice what it says here in Psalm 66, 18. It says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Again, if I regard iniquity in my heart. What does it mean to regard something? What does it mean? Anybody have an idea? What's it mean to regard something? Yeah, Mark. To know that it's there. Yeah. Yes. To think on. If I hold someone in high regard. Okay, I mean, absolutely. It, it, it has to do, yeah, in the back. I'm, I'm sorry, what I was. Well, yeah, it, it, you, could, you could include that there. Right back here, yeah. I'm sorry? Hold up, regard, hold up. Okay, regard it. It's being special or it being something to be regarded. Yeah, I mean, we're guarding. We're, we're putting it in a place of preeminence here. We're allowing it to have a place in our life, our heart. We're regarding it. We're not re rejecting it. We're not trying to do away with it. We're embracing it. Now listen, when we consciously embrace sin, when we know in our heart there are, there's a sin or sins that we are regarding or elevating or lifting up or allowing in our life, even though we know they go contrary to God and His Word, the Bible says that we are in serious danger of our prayers not being heard. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We wonder today in America, in the church, why our prayers aren't being answered. We, we're forever baffled. We say, I don't understand it, God. Where are you? Why aren't you answering my prayers? Why aren't you doing what I'm asking? Maybe it's because we're regarding iniquity in our heart in so many other areas. Oh, we still go to church, maybe. We may even uh, look the part, act the part, speak the part. We may um, teach Sunday school or, you know, drive a bus or maybe even captain a bus or work on a bus, work in the junior churches, clean the church. I mean, make food for the, the uh, different afterglows. We're involved in the ministry but the problem isn't what we're doing for God. The problem is who we are for God. What are you for God? Are you holy? Are you clean? Are you righteous? Is there at least a desire to be clean? Boy, I'll tell you what, that's the battle today, isn't it? Man, we live in such a depraved and deprived culture and society. And all around us, the standard is, being, is just eroding around us. There's no godly standards, there's no moral standards anymore. And as a result of that, if we're not careful as believers, we've kind of bought into that a little bit. We, 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 we stay just a step or two ahead of the culture, the society. How is it that the Pope now embraces a type of evolution? Man, the cardinals even, his cardinals were angry with him. What are you doing? Are you crazy? Remember, we believe the Bible. That's what they, they were baffled by this coming out. 
Where does it lead next? How is it that churches 50 years ago would have literally, I mean, the founders of these denominations and churches would have turned over in their graves if they were told that at one point homosexuals or sodomites would be permitted to pastor their churches. I mean, they would not, it was just, it was, it's mind-boggling. But that is how sin operates. Little by little, step by step, piece by piece, it erodes our foundation. It not only erodes our foundation, but it has a tendency to harden our hearts. We become tolerant of sin. It's not as bad as it used to be. I mean, 75 years ago, a girl that was pregnant out of wedlock wasn't even permitted to stay at home. They shipped her off somewhere so she could have the child in secret because it was such a blight and an embarrassment to the family. Now, we embrace them, throw them right into our school systems, attach daycare centers to our schools so we can help raise their children for them. And they're forever prideful about it. I'm pregnant. At one point, it became a status symbol. And girls wanted to get pregnant out of wedlock because they thought it was so cool. My, where have we gone? And people say, you got to be careful. You can't hurt their self-esteem. And you got to be worried about whatever happened to calling sin, sin. Whatever happened just to be straightforward and saying, it's not right to have a relationship with the opposite sex or same sex, un well, opposite sex till you're married and same sex ever. Whatever happened, to, what's wrong with that? We can't say that because we'll look like we're Neanderthals. We'll look like we haven't done the study. We'll look like we don't believe in science. And how can we lead people, Lord, if they have, we have no credibility in their eyes? Oh, so that's right. Our reason, our reasoning, our intellect, our ability to communicate is what saves them. No, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's the Word of God anyway. They said, they looked at John, and, they, and they, they looked at John and Peter, and they said, these are ignorant and unlearned men. But the Bible says they took notice of them. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. Amen. That's why. Not because they were smart or intelligent or because they, they served on some great board, but, but because they had been with Christ. Our prayers will never be answered the way God intended as long as we harbor sin, as long as we embrace sin, as long as we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear us. And that is probably the reason why most prayers go unanswered. Because on one hand, we have a desire to see God work, but we're not willing to let God work in us. Our prayers will not be answered. That's a problem. But not only will our sins keep our prayers from being answered, they'll bring chastening in our life. Look, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to hurry here. I have a few more to go, and we're going to close this down. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. I don't know what you guys are listening to. <laughs> The air conditioning, yes. Yes, it's giving us brain freeze. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12. 
Verse 6, we'll start there. Now, if we get to one point, you can put your hands over your children's ears if you don't like this. But it's biblical. Bring chastening, it says. Hebrews 12, verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Now, we have chastening. Sin brings chastening. That, again, is another topic that has been neglected in the Christian church for quite some time. You know, we, we like to talk about God always there for us, and that God will, His arms are always open to us, and, and, you know, and there's a reality of that. There's a truth to that. But remember this, and this is very important. If you recall the story of the prodigal son, it was not till the prodigal son humbled himself that the father invited him back. Now, he came running back to daddy, but daddy met him on the road. It wasn't until he saw his broken heart and his humble spirit and his repentant heart that he finally said, all right, kill the fatted calf. He's finally returned. We live in a church culture even, where when someone's child is living in sin and the parent doesn't embrace that sin and sinner, others in the church go, I thought you are supposed to be their parent. I thought you, okay, who's supposed to take care of them anyway? Well, you expect society to take care of them? They're derelict? They're drug addicts. They're drunkards. Hey, if somebody's going to have to live somewhere, they might as well live in your home. Hey, not in mine, Buster. Uh-uh. No. No. I'll give them help when they show a heart of repentance. As long as they want to keep using their money for drugs, they want to continue to live in their lifestyle, they're going to do that on their own. I won't help them with that. And you know what? The father, when the prodigal son came back, Hey, that son had lived a very wicked lifestyle, but the father permitted him back in the home because his son had repented of his sin. He didn't invite him back till he had already changed his heart toward sin and toward his father. And you know what? That's what God's looking for from us. He wants us to change our attitude toward sin and toward him. That's what he's seeking. God is not in heaven waiting with a baseball bat to knock our heads off. That's not how God functions and operates. However, when we are in sin and we choose to sin and we regard sin in our heart and we allow it to rule and reign in our life and we choose to sin, then God is obligated as a loving father to chasten us 
in order to bend our knee and to humble our heart so we can be brought back into fellowship with Him again. Because God knows there's no fellowship with a heart that's hard and unrepentant. How can two walk together except they be agreed? And unfortunately in our world, we're being told that it doesn't matter whether you agree. Agree to disagree and just continue to go along like nothing's wrong. Let me tell you something, that doesn't work well. We can pretend that it does, and we can try to talk ourselves into believing that somebody might be right because they have a Ph.D. in front of their name, and maybe they know more than I know, but biblically and scripturally, you can't get along with somebody who is diametrically opposed to your belief system. You're going to have a real hard time. Oh, you might be able to be cordial and kind and nice, but boy, to walk hand in hand and arm in arm with them, that's an impossibility according to the Bible. Not if you really are who you claim to be. I mean, if you hate sin and they love it, there is no way you can possibly walk arm in arm and be best of buddies. It's impossible. Well, we don't talk that stuff much today. It'll bring chastening in your life. I did not like being chastened by my dad. There were times I probably hated being chastened by my mom the worst. And she pulled out a metal rod and started just swinging aimlessly and viciously as we became teenagers. Until my brother finally stole it and hit it. Because we were getting too many welts on our arms covering up. Someone says, I can't believe your mom would ever do that. I can't either, but she did. Did you car turn her in? No. No, we didn't. Because in those days, you act like a nutcase and you are disrespectful and you show no regard for your parents' authority. You got what you had coming. Today, you've got rights. Treat them like dirt and they're still supposed to love you, embrace you, and open up their heart and their arms and their home to you. Is that ridiculous? I, I don't get it. You don't have to respect your parents anymore, but they have to respect you. That's what the culture is telling our kids. Isn't that sad? Society will not continue with that kind of attitude. That breeds what we found down in, in uh, the riots down in Missouri, when you have this kind of mentality permeating our culture. Now listen, you show mutual respect. You want respect, you show respect. Now, God's saying... When you sin, it's going to keep your prayers from being answered. It's going to bring chastening into your life. Not only that, but it's going to ruin your testimony and bring reproach on God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. You probably know it by heart, many of you. It says simply this, and I, I'm going to, I, I, see, I know it if I could just start it off. I'm, yes, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If they can see our good works and it glorifies our Father in heaven, then that must mean they also see our sinful works. And if good works glorify, bad deeds don't. And you know, that's one of the sad aspects of our lifestyle. Sin will ruin 
our testimony. It'll bring reproach on the God who loved us, as Stephanie sang, before we ever loved him. When I grew up in, you know, your family name meant something. People knew you from your name. Oh, yeah, I know your dad. I knew your grandpa. Good man. Good family. And then you carried on that legacy. Now we're afraid to even tell our kids that you act like a little rebel. You're going to ruin our name. We wouldn't even dare say that today. We don't want our kids to have that kind of pressure on them. We did. And when we acted the fool, we knew we're dragging our parents through the mud with us. Did that keep us from doing all the wrong things? Not necessarily. But it was always there. At least in my life it was. Someone says, they sh you shouldn't be acting right just to protect your parents' reputation or the name that you have. The Bible seems to insinuate that we should. <laughs> when we're Christians, we ought to want to keep that pure and clean. We shouldn't want to bring a blight on the Father, the Lord God, our Savior. I mean, there ought to be some, before you walk into sin next time, you ought to be aware that you're going to run His name through the muck and mire. That you're going to hurt and harm the cause of Christ. We all ought to keep that in mind. Number four, sin will keep you from receiving God's blessings. And again, we... Our, we live in a world now of entitlement. You're entitled to this, and you're entitled to that, and you get this, and you get that, no matter what you do, no matter how you live, no matter what choices you make. But when it comes to God and His economy, as children of God, there is a price to pay. There are consequences for our actions, or lack thereof. In the book of Psalm, chapter 5, verse 12, we read, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm losing my verses here. They're not marked too well. I mean, they're perfectly fine right here, but I'm having a hard time finding them. Oh, there it is. I'm on the wrong section. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. God wants to bless us, and He wants to pour His favor on us. But you know, we have to be willing to comply with His demands. Amen. My relationship with my children is what it is today, because they comply with my demands. It's not me that keeps it all together. It's really them. I have a great desire to have a fellowship with my children. But because my children choose or have chosen through the years to, to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, what, what you say is, is, is okay with me, our relationship is very good. But if they would choose to disregard my, my rules or regard, disregarded my, uh, the things I put in place for them, then we'd have had nothing but conflict. Our relationship would not be what it is today. And you know, that's, that's the danger. That we decide 
what kind of relationship we have with God. He wants a good relationship with us. That's his heart, his goal, his desire, his longing. It's up to us where that falls and how that ends up. And God says, boy, I want to give you the best I got. But you're going to have to meet me where I, I want you. Here's where I want you when I hand it to you. Now, God blesses us when we don't deserve it. You and I both know that. We know that. I mean, we don't, we don't deserve anything good. But, but we also have to be careful that we don't become Christians that feel entitled to something. Amen. That's all. Because God doesn't owe us anything, we need to be very aware of the fact we ought to be very grateful and show our gratitude by obeying God, living for God, and allowing His hands to be free to bless us. And finally, let me close with this. Number five, our sins will sever our sweet fellowship with God. They'll steal our joy. The sin will steal our joy. Oh, we're still saved, but sin will stand as a barrier between us and God while we are in this flesh. We have to be so careful. James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. There's not a parent in the world, at least I would hope, that, that doesn't long for their children to listen to them, to learn from them, to obey them. All of us want that from our children. Why? Yes, we want a relationship with them, so there might be an element of selfishness there. But primarily, if our heart as a parent is really right, we want that because we know that's what's best for them. It's not so that we can enjoy their love as much as it is so that they can love their light. <laughs> because if they'll follow us, if they'll listen to us, if they'll heed our direction, they will avoid so many pitfalls and heartaches and hurts. And that's why we as parents long for them to obey us. Not because we want someone to tell, to tur you turn the TV off, shut the TV off, turn that channel, do this, do that, clean the dishes, clean your room, sweep the bedrooms, sweep the bathroom. Or, well, yeah, sweep the bathroom. That's a good one. That'd be nice. Clean the bathroom. There you go. That's not the whole point of a parenthood, just so we can order people around. We want them to learn to obey. We want them to learn from responsibility. We want them to learn to do those things for the one specific purpose so that they will prosper. They will be blessed. And when they do those things, let's be honest, it's easy to draw nigh to them when they have that kind of heart. And that's exactly what God's saying to us. Be willing to have a desire to be in His presence. Long to hear from Him. Heed His word. Hearken to Him. And He will draw nigh to you. Why? Because it's so easy to draw nigh to someone that's like that. Oh, God could just say, I don't care what you I'm just drawing nigh, drawing nigh. But He said, I wanted to put it in your court again. You draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. You take a step closer to me, I'm one step closer to you. It's up to us to get close to God. His heart is to be close to us all along. Well, let's work at it. Sin 
Sin is a problem for all of us. It's something we war with, we deal with. It's a battle we face on a regular, continual, consistent basis. But it is something we can overcome as we draw nigh to Him. Every sin can be overcome, not just by substituting something good in the place of evil, but by having a walk and a relationship with God that's real and genuine. It's not enough to do right. In the end, we must be right. That's what God truly longs for, a heart of righteousness, not just a walk that appears righteous. So let's be genuine and honest and open with God, and in the long run, the, the actions will follow the attitude. Father, we come to you. We thank you for just the simplicity of your word, and we just ask, dear God,